Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Scripture reading today is from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Acts 19, verse 1. Paul passed through the interior regions of Asia Minor and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, the disciples were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about twelve of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On this second Sunday of the new year, a Sunday where we remember the words of John the Baptist as he preached to the masses in the wilderness of Judea. He said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming who is greater than I, greater than me. I am not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then we also remember on this day the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism in the Christian community is a very important practice, sacrament, ritual, because when a person receives baptism, they're being initiated into a community or they're committing themselves to follow a certain leader or a certain teacher. And what I want to talk to you today what I want to talk to you about today is more than just about baptism. I think today's reading is fraught with a lot of difficulties. It has a lot of difficulties in it. I remember at the age of 17, I was baptized in a charismatic Pentecostal church back in Jamaica. And I am eternally grateful to God for bringing me into that congregation because it was in that church that I learned about the power of prayer. It was in that church that I learned how to share my faith with others who are yet to believe, to learn about evangelism. It was in that church that I developed this love of scripture. It was in that church that I learned what it means to love the body of Christ. Don't take cheap shots at the church. Don't send negative messages about the church, but to pray for the church. I learned to do that. 
in that Pentecostal church. I learned about faith and what it means to walk by faith. And it was in that church, and I can still remember that experience where I sensed in that congregation that God was calling me as an 18-year-old young man to become a pastor. But that church wasn't perfect. And during that time in the congregation, I met a lot of Christians who read Acts 19, 1 through 7 in a way that I think wasn't helpful. These Christians would argue that the, the journey into faith is actually a two-stage process. It begins, yes, with faith and conversion, and then it's followed later by what some call a second blessing or the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, based on what I was reading at that time, and I still believe in my conclusions about that view, even to this day, is that that view leads to an, <clears throat> an erroneous conclusion that the sign of the Holy Spirit's present in a, presence in a person's life is speaking in tongues. And you have no idea how hopeful that might be but yet also how damaging that is. Because I met Christians who were in great despondency and questioned whether or not they were Christians because they weren't experiencing what others were experiencing. And so they were concluding that, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that that is a restricted way of reading the text. And I'd like to invite you to think with me about Today's reading calling us to do what I call taking the next step. And you say, well, what is the next step? And for me, that next step is what I call closing the gap, closing the gap. I think that when it comes to Christian discipleship, there is a gap between what we know and what we experience or what we do. Discipleship, and I'll use the word this way, in the West, often focuses on getting more information, more knowledge, more facts, reading lots of books, attending seminars, going to church and sitting through sermon after sermon, getting degrees, and we assume that much knowledge equals discipleship and spiritual growth. The other side of the coin is to focus on experiences don't worry about the facts. Don't worry about getting all that knowledge. Get that experience because the experience then will validate your faith and it will bring excitement to your faith. And I believe that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Because if we have all, if all we have is knowledge without experiencing God, we will be spiritually dry and dead. And I think that's one of the reasons why our young people are leaving the church because they feel like the Christian experience is more about books and faith and lots and lots of talk, but they never see a demonstration of the faith in the world. And so your faith is going to be dry if you're just on the receiving end and you're never giving back. But if all we have are experiences, mountaintop experiences, and we don't have a grounding and a foundation in truth and knowledge that comes from God, our faith, I believe, will be thin and easily uprooted. And so I think to be a mature disciple, to be a mature leader, 
to be a mature follower of Jesus, we must somehow find a way to close the gap between knowing and experiencing God. Can I say that again? This is all about the mission of our church, right? That First Presbyterian Church exists to know Jesus Christ, to follow him and to make disciples and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in Evanston and Chicago and around the world. Part of our mission says to know him, to follow him, and to make disciples. But in order to do that, we have to close the gap between knowing and experiencing God. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about then, because I think Acts 19, 1 through 7 illustrates this very well. For this text to make sense, though, let's go back to Acts 18, 24 through 25, and see an example of what I call the knowledge gap. The knowledge gap. So you go back to Acts 18, and verse 24 starts, There was a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And then I underlined the rest of that statement. And you'll see it on your screen. Though he only knew the baptism of John. So think about it. Apollos then taught out of what he knew. He was a good preacher, but he was limited in what he knew. And this is one of the challenges of teaching and leading that everyone faces. I deal with it every day. We can only take people where we are. And so it's required then of leaders. It's required of Christians. It's required of pastors that we humble ourselves that we remain curious and eager to learn from others. And thank God for gracious people like Aquila and Priscilla. Acts 18.26 says that Aquila and Priscilla came alongside Apollos and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Now, here's what I find interesting about this. The fact that Apollos was willing to submit himself to this couple and learn from them says something about the humility and the character that this man had and his desire to grow. Apollos then leaves for Corinth. And I think that is really significant because when he leaves Samaria where he was, or F yeah, Samaria where he was, and he goes to Corinth, he's a different man teaching a fuller gospel. And then Paul, who is on his third missionary journey, returns to Ephesus. And while there, he meets 12 disciples of John. Now, Paul could have asked so many questions to these 12 men or 12 disciples. Instead, he asked them about their relationship to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a, that's a powerful, powerful question. And I don't know what they were saying, why Paul asked them that question. But he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And you notice their answer. They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, based on his interaction with them, Paul saw a gap between their knowledge and their experience of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul asks a second question. Into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, all we know is John's baptism. 
And the disciples then clearly did not know that baptism in water, baptism into Christ, baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's one package. Paul's question then revealed that at no point had they advanced beyond John's, John the Baptist's initial preaching of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And just as Aquila and Priscilla helped Apollos, Paul came alongside them and explained to them that John's baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in Jesus, to believe in the one to come, to believe in the one who was to come after him, that that person is Jesus. They're to believe in Jesus. They were baptized by John, which meant they were initiated into John's movement, but they were not fully initiated into the life of Jesus. They were more aligned with John than with Jesus. And maybe they were missing that day when John preached that sermon where he said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And you'll see that in John 3.30. They didn't know that. And that's what I call that knowledge gap. But there was also an experiential gap because we hear from the text that they had not heard about the Holy Spirit. And they're not the only ones. That's one of the reasons why I am forever eternally indebted to my time as a member in a Pentecostal charismatic church. Because there's something in those congregations that teach you about the third person of God. In many mainline churches, we tend to be binitarians. We talk a lot about God the Father and God the Son. But in the Pentecostal church, they talked about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I can't tell you how many times I've been around Christians who refer to the Holy Spirit as a force. May the force be with you. Or the Holy Spirit as an it, instead of the Holy Spirit as a person, a friend, a comforter, a guide, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit as God revealed to us. And so they're not the only ones who don't know about the Holy Spirit. They didn't know about the baptism in the name of Jesus, and they didn't know about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And as, Christian, as Christians, knowing means more than information. And that is only one aspect of knowing. So we've got to, we've got to close the gap. And how do we do that? Again, we have to recognize that there is a gap between, between, in discipleship, between what we know and what we experience. And so I remember for years and years and years, I wanted to visit Israel. I wanted to visit the Holy Land. I wanted to see life among our Palestinian brothers and sisters. And I read a lot. And even before I had ever traveled there, I knew in my mind, my knowledge of that place was pretty steep. I had a lot of knowledge about the Holy Land, but it wasn't until I visited. And the picture you're looking at is a picture of the entire group of friends from our church who walked where Jesus walked, who breathed the air, who met the people, 
who saw the land where Jesus walked and, and, and suddenly the gap between knowing and experiencing narrowed and in some cases it may have closed. And behind us, you're looking at the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And I had the privilege of stepping into that river and baptizing every one of those people you see in the picture. And then my brother from China, Dr. K.K. Yo, then uh, got on a tall ladder, no he didn't, and baptized me. If I had never visited the Holy Land, does that mean my knowledge is inaccurate? No, but it does mean that my knowledge would be inadequate, that there would be a gap. So take what I just said and apply it to many, many, many of our churches today, whether they be mainline or non-denominational, and notice what is happening in the North American church. We are experiencing a gap between knowing and doing, between knowing and experiencing. And if I visited one of these churches, if I visited as many churches as I could in America, and I asked people in those churches, I want you to define prayer. What is prayer? I guarantee you that every person would provide me with a relatively eloquent definition of prayer. But then if I were to ask these same people, can you tell me a story? Can you tell me a time where you saw the power of prayer being displayed in your life and in your relationship with God? And then suddenly the knowledge of prayer in these people begin to fragment. And the same would be true of discipleship. The same would be true of reading the Bible. The same would be true of baptism and evangelism. And what we find is that people are familiar with a lot of terminologies and they have read the books and they go to the classes and they take notes, but they have no experience of walking in the power of what they know and over time and if you want to know why the church in Africa and Brazil and Latin America and in the the Asian countries why those churches are growing in leaps and bounds it's because it's because these churches have closed the gap they not only know their stuff they're doing their stuff over time, these gaps lead to, to spiritual deadness. We have the form, but we lack the power. We have arguments, but we don't have the stories of God's presence and power among us. We don't have the stories of transformation. We don't have the stories of victory. We don't have the stories of resurrection power to share with our skeptical world. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, no one learns to swim. No one learns to ride a bike. And I remember when I taught my little girl and my two boys how to ride a bike. And one of the first things I did, I got them on the bike and I got them training wheels and I sent them off. We did not sit down and read books upon books about learning how to be a bike rider. They learned and solidified their knowledge by doing No one learns to swim or ride a bike simply by reading an instruction manual. We're called to integrate knowledge and experience, knowing and doing. And that's what Paul did. He helped them to take the next step. 
He explained to them the meaning of baptism, and then he baptized them. And notice this, not in the name of John. He baptized them in the name, in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he laid his hands on them, and he prayed over them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And by, by, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, they received the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in, speak in tongues, and they began to prophesy. John Stott says it so well. Once they came to understand this through Paul's instruction, they put their trust in Jesus, of whose coming their teacher John the Baptist had spoken. They were then baptized into Christ. Paul laid his hands on them, giving his apostolic imprimatur to what was happening, as Peter and John had done in Samaria in Acts 8. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. In other words, they experienced a mini Pentecost. Better, Pentecost caught upon them. Better still, John Stott said, they were caught up into it as its promised blessing became theirs. And that's what I want for this church. I want every promise of God to become ours. And I was reading Ephesians 1 again this week, and I felt like I was drowning in this rich blessing that God has for the church, that God has for you and me. Go back and read Ephesians 1, and all of those promises are ours. But there is this gap between knowledge and experience that needs to be closed. A year ago, I read a wonderful book by a professor up at Trinity uh, Theological Seminary, Kevin Van Hooser, and the title of the book is called Hearers and Doers, A Pastor's Guide to Making Disciples Through Scripture and Doctrine. And what he said is really important for mainline churches like ours. He said, as a rabbi or a master, Jesus did not want his followers simply to listen to his lessons and then continue living as before. To hear and not do is both to flout the authority of Jesus' word and to flaunt oneself, oneself as the Lord. Moreover, to hear and not do is the opposite, not only of obedience, but also of learning. Again, no one learns to swim or ride a bike simply by reading a manual, an instructional manual. Jesus desires of his followers that they both listen and learn, that they both know and experience. And imagine what the church in Ephesus would have been like if those 12 disciples of John assumed leadership in the church with such huge gaps, such huge deficiencies in their knowledge and experience, leading the church based on only what they knew. On a day where we remember the baptism of Jesus, on a day where we are installing new leaders in our church, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Let me give you three possibilities. First of all, I think this text is asking you and me to examine ourselves. Examine yourself. I again read 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, where Paul said to the church, test yourself, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. What did Paul mean by that? Examine yourself. Am I even in the faith? Have I truly placed my trust in Jesus Christ? Have I been baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit? Examine yourself. 
The second thing I would encourage you to consider doing is try to identify the gaps. So you examine yourself, but in order to identify the gaps, ask someone to help you see where there might be a gap between your knowledge and your experience. Here are a few areas you could, you could consider as you try to examine the gaps. Do you believe in prayer? Then the question, if you say yes, then the question is, how is your prayer life? Who am I praying for? Am I part of a prayer gathering? And, and let me just press in on that a little bit, if you don't mind, because I think one of the most important things that First Prayers does is that we have a prayer gathering. We have a group of people who get together and pray. Now, it's a small group. And I continue to be amazed that the most important thing that we could do as a church is to gather together to pray, and yet it is a small group that does it. Now, if there's any consolation from that, I could go down all through Evanston and I talk to my friends who are pastors. I could go to other states where I have friends who are pastors, and I ask them, how's your prayer meeting? And they would say, yeah, it's a small group. It's one of the weird things. We believe in prayer, but we don't pray. Now, that's a gap that you've got to identify. Similarly, a lot of people say, I, I, I read the Bible. I believe that, you know, I believe in the Bible. I have a Bible. Well, you know, the question I'm going to ask you is, do you read it? Do you read your Bible? How many of you actually, in this mode that we've been in, because normally if you were here in church with me, I would say, pick up that Red Pew Bible, and many of you just kind of sit there and look at me and say, I dare you, Pastor Ray, to make me pick that Bible up. Kidding. But seriously, how many of you at home on a Sunday like today, you have your Bible open as you are worshiping with us this morning? So if you say you believe the Bible and you have a Bible, then what I'm going to do is to press you even further and ask you to join me in 2021 to read through the Bible. So you know that the Bible is God's word, but you're not reading it. And I was on a call last week with a, a brother that I've known in Christ for many years, lives in another state. And as we were talking and sharing at the end, and I didn't even ask him this, he just opened up and he said, you know, Ray, I've been a Christian a long time and I don't read the Bible. He said, he said to be honest with you, I don't even fully understand the Bible. And he's a leader in his church. That's a gap. That's a gap. Here's another tough one, evangelism. How do people get saved? How do people get introduced to the gospel? It's done by people like you and me, one-to-one. -one. Thank God for people like Billy Graham, but Billy Graham is not the scriptural model. We're not called to go and rent out stadiums and fill it with people. No, we're called, though, to share Christ one with the other. Many of us believe that's how the church must grow. But the question is, how many of us share the gospel with others? How many of us pray that others would come to know Jesus? Same thing with discipleship, same thing with giving, same thing with service. These are all big churchy words that we all give a, a polite nod to, but how many of us have, have experienced the joy of evangelism, the joy of growing as a disciple, the joy of giving, the joy of serving others? And then 
the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the use of our spiritual gifts, it's not just a Pentecostal charismatic domain. It's for the body of Christ. And how many of us use our spiritual gifts and experience friendship and fellowship with the Holy Spirit day in and day out. That's a whole sermon by itself. So examine yourself, identify the gaps, and there might even be others. You know, let's say we believe in love, but we practice hate. That's a gap. We believe in patience, but we're so impatient. That's a gap. And on and on and on we could go. Identify the gaps. And then finally, don't settle. Don't settle. As a church, I want us to be, to be brutal as a church. Refuse to settle for a style of learning that is long on information and short on practice and experience. Let me give you an example. Here's an example for every one of you to close a gap today, starting today. So I'm holding in my hand the syllabus for the Sunday school class that starts today. God's story is what it's called, Perspectives on the Christian, on the World Christian Movement. And there are nine outcomes for the class. And my heart just, just, uh, just beat at a faster pace when I read the outcomes. The neurons in my mind just started firing up when I read the outcomes because there are nine outcomes. And the, the, the last four outcomes call us to experience the learning. So this class, and I want you, this is an opportunity, guys, to close the gap. This class is not one of those typical first-person class where you just read a book and you pontificate about the facts in the book or you, you sit in a class and just kind of sit back and just receive, receive, receive like the Dead Sea. But if you join this class, get ready. This class is going to call you to not just learn but do to not just have knowledge, but experience. And four of those outcomes call for experience, a cross-cultural serving opportunity. Experience, a cross-cultural religious events, revent. Experience, a small group experience with, with class time. Become familiar with at least one mission partner looking at how they approach at least one of the four perspectives. Friends, we want more of these classes. If we're going to transform our lives and become the disciples that God wants us to be, we're going to have to close that gap, which means we as a church must invest and think through pedagogically what we're teaching, how we're teaching it, and what are the outcomes. I worry so much about our small groups here at our church, and I love the fact that many of you are getting into small groups, and I want, I'd love for the whole church to be involved in small groups, but what worries me about small groups is that it is heavy on just being together and praying together and thinking together and doing Bible studies together, and our heads just keep getting bigger and bigger with more and more knowledge, and our experience muscles get thinner and thinner and thinner to the point where we can't do ministry. And my dream always for small groups is that they become these missional groups where we're experiencing God together in all the ways that small groups do it, but then we step out and we say, as a group, let's go, let's go make some noise for the kingdom of God. And that's how we grow 
the church. So as we offer classes, as we invite people to read books, we must keep asking the question, to what end? How do we practice and experience the power of what we know? Because if we don't practice it, and if we don't experience it, I suggest to you that we really don't know it. And then finally, and this really gets back to everything, be a practitioner of the faith. Begin to live the gospel at home. Toughest place to live the gospel, toughest place to be a Christian is when you are home alone, home with your wife, home with your kids, home. The real you comes out. Be a practitioner of the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and in the world. Ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Seriously, seriously. Say, Lord, I want you to, to, I want you to, to, to empower me with your spirit so I can walk the way that you want me to walk. Ask for that anointing so that I can pray the way you want me to pray. Ask for that anointing so that I can step out of the boat, Lord, and walk on the water with you. Lord, anoint me with your power. And this is how transformation happens. This is how change happens. This is how the church makes a dent in the kingdom of darkness in our world. God bless you. Join me, join me, join me in closing the gap between knowing and experiencing. And that's what happened in the church at Ephesus. And I imagine those 12 disciples helped to lay the pillar and the foundation for that church. And pray for our leaders, would you? Pray that they would be men and women of knowledge, but men and women who practice and experience God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen.